Welcome to The Voice of Insurance. I'm Mark Gagan. In this episode, I'm talking to Nicola Aubert, Head of Great Britain at Willis Taz Watson and CEO of Willis Limited. Nicola has been at Willis for five years and he's had over 30 years in insurance with over a decade at AIG, which saw him in a three-year stint as its Managing Director for the UK. He's a former chair of the London Market Group and has also been president of the Insurance Institute of London. Now, as a Frenchman who's forged a successful career in London, in many ways he is a personal embodiment of the kind of global, multifaceted and diverse marketplace that London would like to present to the world. Now, the London market has been through a lot of soul-searching in the past 12 months, as every aspect of its culture has been examined in minute detail. Stories of bad behaviour and discrimination have filled the mainstream media and been broadcast all around the world. And at the same time, and actually starting quite a few years before the scandal started to break, the insurance sector has embarked on a huge programme of education, self-examination and change around the subject of diversity and inclusion. Nicola has been right at the heart of that major change for many years, and that's the topic of our discussion today. He's also currently in charge of 4,500 people, so he's pretty well qualified to have a view on this subject. Now, if you're the sort of person who would rather not engage with this topic, I would urge you not to tune out. That's because you're actually the sort of person who must listen to this the most. Frankly, insurance has an image problem, and if it doesn't sort it out, it's going to be an albatross that it carries around its neck for many years to come. If you don't get behind the changes the industry needs to make, you're actually part of the problem. So do listen on. My first question to Nicola asked him to assess the insurance sector's culture problem. But before the podcast starts in earnest, a quick word in your ear. This podcast is free because I want it to be available to anyone in the insurance industry anywhere in the world. I don't want it to be hidden behind a paywall because I think it should go to the widest audience possible. Now, the only way for that to happen is for you to advertise in this slot and at other key points in the podcast. So if you like what you hear and you want to do some excellent cost-effective marketing while supporting The Voice of Insurance, please contact mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com. That's M-A-R-K at thevoiceofinsurance.com. Now let's get back to the show. Why don't we get started on, um, you know, you telling me what's your assessment of, of the cultural problem in insurance in general uh, and the London market in particular? And also, you know, is there actually a problem or not? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to presuppose that there's a problem. I, I think you do in the way you ask the question, of course, Mark. But I, I think when we look at uh, our market, in fact, you've got different elements. I don't think that there is such a problem in the insurance market as a whole when you look at the, the, the whole diversity that we have in the UK and the British insurance market. Uh, it's probably not perfect, but it's very, very different from what we see in the London market and then what we see in the Lloyd's market, which is a substract of uh, the, the London market. So it's clear that we've got uh, a different culture because this is a different market. Uh, we've got different routes than the overall insurance industry. There are some specificities. This is essentially a trading market. Uh, probably we'll, we'll be able to talk about what it means later on. But we've got clearly something to address. And the, the, the culture is one of the things to be addressed as per other things in the London market. Um, so is that to say, is there a problem or not, not a problem? 
um, or or just things that need uh, improvement? Um, I think it's a problem because it's more than it's required that just improvement. Um, when you look at uh, the essence of the situation is that for many leaders, uh, talking about diversity, talking about inclusion, talking about non-financial misconduct is kind of a new thing. Uh, some leaders have been walking uh, the, the talk since a long, long time, for decades to be honest. Some are discovering the matter. And this is where the problem is, is that the level of awareness is incredibly different from companies to companies, and to be honest also, from leaders to leaders. So do you think it has been a problem of, of leadership in general? Well, I think when you look at uh, leadership, there are plenty of uh, ways to, to think about it. But my personal view of leadership is uh, thinking about uh, what's, what's going to be the legacy of a leader. And there are two elements in the legacy of a leader. They are the numbers, the financials, and they are the people. But guess what? Uh, the financials, the numbers, they have no memory, uh, and they go away with the wind. People have memory, and, and I think that uh, your legacy as a leader is going to be about how you have influenced people, how you've been working with people, how you've been developing people, and how you've been developing yourself with your, your teams. So the people matter is something that we are not taking enough seriously. And, and you've been in the industry for 30 years like I have, and we all know, and we all like this sentence, we are a people business. And we've heard it forever. But I'm really serious about it. I'm not sure. Uh, when you look at Willis Stars Watson, we are a professional services firm. So we have no financial capital. I mean, we have some to reassure the, the regulator, but just what we need. Our capital is the human capital, meaning our people are the assets. This is what we need to focus on. Um, where do you feel that uh, Willis is in the spectrum of sort of uh, behaviours in in the London market? How, when you sort of you try and uh, benchmark yourself against peers and uh, and against perhaps also against an ideal, where do you feel you are uh, on that spectrum? Well, to be honest, we, we tend not to benchmark ourselves on, on the matter. We, we tend to try to be the best company. We try to be the company uh, with a very, very strong culture. We, we, we tend to be and to want to be a company with enormous integrity, fully dedicated to, to its clients and providing the environment which is the right one for our people to thrive. So, of course, uh, th there are some situations where you look at some, some benchmarking or some uh, ranking. Yeah. So, for example, Stonewall, there is a Stonewall index. And to be honest, we are quite proud that we are now part of the top 150 companies in the UK uh, where it's uh, the it's best place to work in. So, but we don't benchmark with competitors. That's not what we, what we want to do. We are on a journey. We feel... To be honest, and probably to answer uh, your question, we feel relatively good about what we, where we are today, but we are absolutely not complacent at all regarding the fact that we need to continue to progress. So do you get much actual sort of um, management information uh, as a manager on, on these sort of, are there any metrics that you're particularly keen at looking at? Obviously, you've got 
as a UK company, of course, in your annual report, you have to look at your gender pay gap and other things. Yeah. But anything that, you, you, that are on your desk that you're specifically looking at? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, you, you know that as part of our franchise, we have a, a human capital uh, franchise. Uh, and, and of course, we are using ourselves some of our expertise and capabilities in this area, and notably around regularly measuring the, the employee uh, the employee engagement and uh, surveying our colleagues. And um, we, we, we do that actually basically each two years. And there are a certain number of very specific metrics that are quite connected to, to your question. And, uh, and those are the metrics we really uh, care about. And notably, how much people are feeling comfortable to be themselves, how much uh, our colleagues are, are literally happy to work with their colleagues. Uh, those are uh, metrics that are very, very objective because we get them from a totally anonymous uh, feedback from thousands of, uh, of our colleagues. And, and we are quite pleased to see that not only we've got a very high level of satisfaction on those, uh, on those areas, but that they are continuing to improve. And here, I'm just, just to be clear, I'm, I'm talking about the very, very high 80s in the percentages point. Um, when you see things that you want to improve, um, how, how do you actually start uh, to go about changing? Uh, if it's something where you want to see changes in behavior, um, how do you go about starting to do that? And are there any things that are the easy wins that are quick? Uh, or is it just always a very long and slow process? I don't think it's specifically long, but it's there is not any silver bullet over there. It's it's about driving the culture is about driving literally tens and tens of initiatives, and also ensuring that tens and tens of BAU processes are well managed. Now let me give you a few a few examples. BAU is business as usual. Business it? as usual. Yeah, absolutely. That was not a business acronym as such, mm -hmm. just business as usual. Um, but so so when you when you want to influence your culture you've got literally plenty of opportunities to do so some are just part of uh, i would say regular processes but the, the way you manage uh, performance uh, the way you provide feedback the way you manage the promotion round uh, each and every year the way you develop your talents uh, the way you create some specific uh, initiatives connected to an inclusion strategy, uh, the way you control the conduct of uh, the business, etc., uh, etc. Et so the, the the way you drive the culture is to make sure that you and your leaders have a permanent attention to all those things and not only for what they represent factually for the moment, like promoting people to make sure that we've got the right leaders or right managers in place, but making sure that you use that as a vehicle to change a situation, improve a situation as diversity, for example, ensuring pay equity. It's a permanent uh, matter to have in your mind, but it's just part of running your business. Um, how do you get engaged with what is, I'd say, almost certainly the largest uh, demographic and perhaps the most difficult to reach and perhaps the one that, that needs to be reached the most? Um, that would say be that, you know, your standard sort of middle-aged, white, heterosexual man, uh, London market man, should we describe him? And I could say I could probably fit into that demographic myself. Um, 
How do you engage Are with Are you still them? middle age? <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Oh, right, good for you. I'm hoping, hoping I'm still <laughs> middle aged. But uh, um, how do you engage with them? Because, you know, I mean, I know quite a lot of them, and I think some of them switch off uh, when, 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 when this subject comes up. Um, how do we get them engaged? Um, th there is a, a trick that I'm using from time to time where someone uh, might be not enough engaged on the, on the matter. And it's back to my point regarding the fact that our people are our assets. So Willis Towns Watson and basically Willis Limited also are basically uh, 4,500 employees in the UK, basically a 1 billion uh, turnover run of revenue uh, companies. And uh, when you look at that, uh, you, you, you immediately can calculate that the overall payroll is basically half a billion. Um, when you talk to a leader, you look at his business unit's numbers and, and you ask him a question, so how much asset do you have in your business? And usually say, well, I don't really have assets. Okay, well, your people are, are your assets. And, and then suddenly you transform the conversation and you've got the, 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 the leader in question starting to think, okay, well, 50% of my revenue, at least, uh, is, is about uh, my, my payroll. And of course, that would depend on the margin of the business. I'm just looking at an average situation. And, and then you put a, a number, which is whatever, 20 million, 30 million, depending on the size of the business unit. And you say, you know, you've got an asset base of this amount. And actually, 50% of this asset base is, for example, uh, male and female. Uh, um, so what are you doing about it? Uh, are you going to take care of your asset? Are you going to develop your asset? Are you going to grow your asset? What kind of business leader could not be immediately captured by the fact that he has to do something about his asset management? And then you move into more interesting uh, conversation, which is about how you care about your, your asset, how you plan the use of your asset, how you allocate your asset to your business. So I'm, I'm, I'm aware that this looks like a, a financially, uh, uh, financially kind of uh, oriented uh, tactic, but it's just relating the, the human capital matter to what it means in terms of financial implications. Well, that's interesting. So. That is probably, so you're saying is um, that's the best way of getting uh, some of that demographic's attention is to say, actually, this is good for business. Yeah, absolutely. And um, on that subject, we were talking a bit about management information. Um, now that, you know, we are a good few years into to this project for, for, for businesses such as yours in the London market, is there any, um, you know, when you talk to diversity and inclusion consultants, for example, they'll say, We've definitely we can prove to you, or we'll, you know, they, they'll say from other sectors, we can prove to you that businesses that invest in diversity and inclusion and and investing in their people and making themselves a really great place to work do better than other businesses that don't. Have you got any kind of you, you were talking about a bit about you know about um, uh, about relating it back to the bottom line, top line? Um, have you got any management information that would start to show that that is that these uh, programs are bearing fruit? Uh, you know that the, 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 you know improving your staff retention, improving your staff happiness, and also improving profit. Yeah, I, I don't think that we can say that we have as such some metrics that are directly uh, measuring that. But let me get back to the beginning of your con your, your question here because. You were referring to initiatives that we've been leading since a few years on the matter. Uh, 
that's not what we've been doing. We've been leading and I've been personally leading this kind of initiative for decades. And uh, that's very different from what's happening at the market level at the moment where then your questions absolutely fit the situation. So when you look at a company like ours, and of course it's coming from different legacies, but we've been very, very well versed into a diversity and inclusiveness strategies since a long, long time. So one can say that the culture that we have in Willis Towns Watson now is clearly the result of all those things that we've been uh, driving for many years and can be the 10 last years, also the last five years, and also whatever are the three, uh, three last years and what we are doing at the moment. So back to my previous point, there is no silver bullet. It's an, an addition of hundreds of things that we've been doing. So when you've been doing those kind of things for a long, long time, it's really difficult to know how the last initiative is going to, to, to influence. But there, there are some ways still where you, you look at um, the, the impact of some, some of those initiatives. So typically I was referring to the fact that some of our metrics in our employee engagement survey has, uh, have continued to improve despite they were already quite high. And we can connect that uh, to uh, some initiatives that we've been uh, launching. Uh, a very interesting point, which I, I think for me is a very important metrics in terms of uh, company performance, specifically in a company uh, like ours, which value proposition is very, very broad, is uh, the metric connected to collaboration. So our people, our colleagues love collaborating because they like they are their colleagues. The more they will like their colleagues, the more they, they, they like collaboration. And if you just think about the fact that we are a company which in its current format has been built only four years ago, you can measure the, important, uh, the importance of collaboration and connectivity. And that's clearly creating additional value and additional value proposition for us, for our clients, because people from different legacy parts of the organization are connecting together and then building new opportunities. So there is no direct metric, but you clearly see that some of what you've been doing in terms of driving the culture is generating a benefit to your business performance. Well, can you see things in things like uh, retention rates or um, return to work after maternity, that kind of thing? Are there any of those things you can see? Uh, the, the retention is very high for, for Willis Towns Watson. Uh, I won't give uh, numbers that are not public, but they are very high. And to be honest, they are where we would like them to be if we were not there. <laughs> um, and we've not seen them uh, changing. Actually, we've not seen them deteriorating uh, in some times of change. And we've not seen them then moving backwards uh, in, in the, uh, the other direction afterwards. So quite strong retention. And But the retention... I think that's the important point for, for your question is that the important, the quality of the retention is absolutely connected to the quality of the culture. Because the culture is there to retain people and also to attract, and we, we may want to talk about that attraction at one point. Right, okay. Um, again, now talking about changing behaviors, and there's another constituency of people, again, who feel, who, who, who think that they're just really nice people, and, and you'd say that they, they definitely are nice people, but they're not necessarily aware that some of the behaviours that, they, that they're exhibiting are, you know, these sort of things are unconscious biases and that kind of stuff. And how do you get to um, sort of engage with those people to, 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 to let them know that actually um, we know they're really nice, really well-meaning people, but actually sometimes they need to think more carefully about w what they're doing. 
It's funny the way you ask the question, Mark, because it's not about those people. All of us <laughs> have unconscious bias. Uh, all of us are coming uh, to the table, to the party, with our worldview. And all of us can make a mistake in a simple uh, sentence, in a simple behavior, which is going to create uh, unintentional uh, consequences. So what we know, to be fair to your question, is that there are some people that are probably uh, closer to create some problems uh, because of some of their behaviors or some of their attitudes, etc. And I think this is about um, making them aware about how what they say can uh, influence others, how what they do uh, can uh, be perceived by others. And th this concept of awareness is very important for us. So we've, we've been developing since many years some unconscious bias training for all leaders, for all managers across many levels of the organization because the key thing is to really understand that what is obvious for you might be very different from the other. And it's impacting literally everybody. Right. Um, what about, um, you know, We've got the Ten Commandments in 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 in, in religion. Um, you know, do you need something prescriptive sometimes, um, or is that really not the way to go? Should should it be really clear that you say that this is this is acceptable, this is unacceptable, uh, or or is that does it not really work like that? Or do you think some things are obviously unacceptable, or or oh, do you think is it worth actually writing it all down and putting it on everyone's desk and saying, hey, here are the Ten Commandments of of, of Willis of how you no. No, no, that's not our way. Our way is uh, is to make people aware that um, respecting others and behaving in society is a complex matter and that people need to reflect and think uh, about how they communicate and how they behave. So uh, back to the awareness, this is really about making sure that we train people so that they have the minimum awareness about those matter, and then we create situations, uh, and that's notably connected to our recent initiative, Respect at Work, we create situations where leaders, managers, colleagues at different levels are talking about a matter together just to share views and identify very rapidly then that different people are thinking differently about those things. And then you can really identify then uh, areas where everybody typically would agree that something is not acceptable and uh, areas which are more gray, to be honest, where some would feel very comfortable about something and some others. And there is no right or wrong, and this is why you cannot put uh, uh, that in, in, in your uh, uh, 10 uh, order or uh, 10 ruling, um, because the, the point is not, uh, I mean, clearly some, some things are absolutely uh, wrong. But most of uh, those uh, situations are gray. And the importance is to for people to understand that because it's gray, they need to pay attention to those situations to make sure that they are going to handle them well. So it's about context, really, is it? Or that uh, you could say something to, to you that uh, you, I couldn't say to somebody else just because I know that it will be okay with you. Or, But I need to be conscious that if somebody else is in the room while I'm saying it to you, then that might be that that could really go wrong. 
I think you're right. I mean, there are different things. The context is important. Then who you are talking to is important. And then you've got situations that are even more complex when there is a larger audience where, by definition, you cannot anticipate how many people are thinking or looking at a matter. So I think the more people are attending to something, the more complexity and then the more safety you need to implement in your uh, communication or, or behaving approach. Um, here's, here's one. Here's a, here's a common thing that, um, you know, the sort of London man in the street and out in Lime Street might say to me if they grabbed me and said, oh, I heard that podcast the other day. They said, you know, but what about me? You know, uh, I'm this middle-aged white guy. I'm never going to get promotion again um, because, you know, because, uh, you know, uh, other people can get promoted above me. So the question would be, you know, for, for, for minorities to gain something, d does the majority have to lose something? I really strongly believe not. Uh, the, the way I look at that is that uh, we clearly need to help some minorities to have better opportunities uh, in, in the future. And I think that's going to benefit the whole majority. But if we are also very honest, that's going to hinder a little number as part of the majority to have maybe as many opportunities as they had in the past. But the majority is going to win. A small minority, which was part of the majority, might not get as many chances. Would you say that if, and also if, um, another way of combating that would be to say that, you know, if, if, if we implement all these things, this business is going to grow much faster. And so there'll be more opportunities for everybody, so don't worry about so, it. So you, when you look at that at the company level, if you are a successful company, if you are a growing company, indeed, that's not a problem because you are going to generate a lot of opportunities for everybody. But I was kind of answering much more on a market basis. So we, you, if you take, and, that, and this is to be honest, I mean, if you take an existing population, a certain part of the population who was getting all the benefits in the past is not always going to get those benefits in the future. I suppose I don't want to talk about specifics, but I'd say another thing, the London market man in the street, uh, who's about my age, sort of, let's say, a 50-year-old uh, white male in uh, Lime Street or standing outside the Lamb pub, perhaps, might say to me, sort of, what about, you know, again, this is about leadership. Um, do you think it's, th 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 that person might have a perception that it's not been fair that some senior executives, they, in their view, have been able to get away with things that perhaps junior people wouldn't have been able to get away with? Is there anything you can, if you've got anything to say about that? Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure I can really comment about that, but I, I think that lots of people, whether junior or senior, have been able to get along with things that they should not have. And I don't think there was more protection for senior executives than, than junior people in the past. And the key thing is to make sure that uh, from now on, in any case, everybody is equal in front of those matters and that uh, consequence management would be uh, applied to anybody who is not uh, having the right behavior. Okay, recently, um, the FCA, uh, one of our, our conduct regulator in the UK, um, raised concerns about the London market culture. Um, was, was it right to do that? Or do you think it's a bit behind the times because this all blew up quite a long time ago? Yeah, um, you know, I've been uh, and I'm still deeply involved with the London Market Group, and uh, it's been now five years, and the London Market Group has identified 
that there were a certain number of things to improve on the market, and part of it was better managing the, the human capital and taking care of, uh, of the mat those matters. So, yes, recently the FCA has dramatically increased its focus on non-financial misconduct, um, but we have not waited for the FCA to, to work on those matters as a market or as a company. Um, so you've already had things like the senior managers regime anyway, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I, I think, the, to be honest, I think the focus on the non-financial misconduct is also helping the market to, point to, 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 to be focused on a certain number of issues that are specifically part of uh, the, the conduct. Um, so to, to your point, to your question, I mean, I, I think that we need to be careful because the London market has become uh, quite honest about itself uh, from typically the, the first London mar mat first London ma market matter. Sorry, this one is difficult for me to, uh, to pronounce, but... Uh, the London matters. The London matters, you're right. The first London matters. So a certain number of uh, issues were identified, but we need to be really careful about something in this market is that because now we are more honest uh, about our issues and challenges and because we are really very proactively working on them, it's not because we have some issues that the whole situation is negative. And this is where maybe we need to pay uh, attention and we need also to help the F FCA to find the right balance here is that, yes, we've got some improvements to, to make in the market in this area like in, in others, but let's not depict the London market as a chaotic marketplace where we would have harassment all over the place, we would have bullying on a permanent basis, etc. That's not the case. This is a brilliant market with brilliant people. Most, by, by far, most of the people are absolutely splendid people, uh, absolutely rightly behaving. So it, it, it's very important that we pay attention to the balance here. So the regulators really just doing their job, just making sure that that you know that it definitely happens, and they they're just is that the way you read it? They're just throwing their voice, and obviously they have a huge amount of weight. I uh, think the re the regulator is uh, is well aware that when you talk about a market, you talk about a lot of people, and you talk about a lot of corporates. And the the regulator is very smart. They are very well aware that some corporates are acting at the right level, that some leaders are acting at the right level, but that's not the case all over the place. So I think the regulator is signaling to everybody to pay attention so that everybody is taking the necessary and reasonable steps on the topic. I just wanted to ask about your own personal experience of, of working in the London market. Have you ever felt that you were unwelcome or discriminated against? Uh, you know, what, what, what's your own experience been? It's been fantastic, you know, Mark. I've been uh, I've been operating the London market for ten years. I mean, literally ten years, almost uh, month by month here. And uh, I must say that I'm incredibly thankful to the market and its participants because I've been really very warmly welcomed since the beginning. Uh, I've been uh, invited to, to join some professional bodies. Uh, as you probably know, I've even been asked to, to chair the London Market Group for two years. I'm the, uh, the, the, the last former uh, president of the Insurance Institute of London. So if, if I would not say that I've been warmly welcomed, that it would be crazy. So, no, uh, 
fantastic. Um, but having said that, let me just tell you a, a, a funny thing. There's some some ways to to use uh, some uh, adjectives in the normal language, which uh, which uh, sometimes creates fun, some funny situations. So the first time I, I joined uh, a board uh, in London, uh, I, I do what you do uh, as a Frenchman is that you shake hand with everybody, and someone said, "Oh, that's very French," and uh, in 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 this person's mind that was not exactly a compliment, which was a, that's kind of a waste of time. Why is this? guy going around the table etc but it was fun um so I back thought, to the I context that was that was that was a very nice one to be honest when you give him three kisses Nicolas? um yeah but i won't do that with with you because you've got a beard mark <laughs> <laughs> Good, so and actually in paris it's only two kisses only two it's very confused that's that's, the that's thing. very so confusing how yeah? you confuse an englishman it's like you know how many kisses yeah but that's also diversity depending the region you come <laughs> from you've got a different number of kissing right i think um, you mentioned before about your respect at work agenda, uh, which is one of the reasons why you know I came in to, to talk to you actually. Because, so can you tell us a bit more about that? You know, obviously you've been doing uh, diversity inclusion policies and executing things here for a really long time, but now you've got a new initiative. Um, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. So respect at work is um, one of many initiatives that we are uh, we are running here, and this one is new. So. It's really focusing on uh, on on three different uh, elements, and everything is uh, to is made to to be in addition to other processes that we have uh, in the company. So so one is I think it's back to uh, something that we were talking about earlier. One is about um, training uh, leaders and managers uh, about the um, the fact that there is a lot of grey. In the, in the way people are reacting to situations. It's about creating situations where we can openly discuss in small workshops, like kind of 15 people groups, uh, we can discuss together about certain situations and check what we mean, what we think, how do we react, because it's part of developing the awareness on very, very specific uh, points. So that's kind of the, uh, the, the workshop we are running. Then we created uh, a network of people that we call the guardians of the respect at work. Uh, some would call them champions, but we, we like the word guardian, which is saying what it is. It's about caring. It's about protecting uh, our colleagues. And the guardians are, are selected as people that are very good networkers who have personal credibility in the organization, that are known as people you can easily interact with, quite open, uh, etc. And, and the idea is for those people to help individuals who would have faced uh, a, a tricky situation, a challenging situation, and we would like to have some guidance, some support, someone to discuss with, to look at how addressing the matter if they feel they are not able to uh, do it uh, by themselves. So this is in addition to the other processes uh, that we have, such as, for example, the uh, the outline that we have for any whistleblowing situation, for example, or the normal reporting through management or through HR or through legal. So this is in addition to. And then finally, the, the, the last kind of uh, tool that we have developed is, is, is kind of a guidebook to help managers kind of open a conversation around respect matters. And all those things have just been put together in, in place to help 
the securing the, the workplace because we are not naive. In some situations, a formal process can be frightening. Uh, for some, in some situations, can be difficult for someone to to get to his manager to to talk about a matter even notably if uh, the manager himself is part of the problem. So creating this uh, initiative of respect at work is about uh, creating another route for, uh, for communication in the company. So, and respect you really mean about the way that people treat each other at work. Exactly. Exactly. Employees, and it's it's, employees, it's about colleagues, it's about clients, it's about trading partners, it's about providers. We want to make sure that the whole uh, working environment is fully respectful, and make sure that if there are some deviations, if there are some issues, we create as many routes as possible for the issues to be elevated or discussed. And and the reason why you're doing this is it's really an enhancement to have a, a more informal channel this kind of thing to take place rather than have to go straight to HR and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, w what we believe is that there is not uh, one way which is the best way. Uh, we all know that in communication. I mean, you need to communicate face-to-face, -face, you need to communicate in meetings, you need to communicate in town halls, uh, through emails, etc. It's the same thing for things that are even more sensitive. Uh, you need to create different rules for people to choose what is going to be best for them. Um, and how many of these guardians have you got? So we've got 20 to start with, uh, and we are going to test how it's going to work. And uh, if it works well, we will probably expand uh, the number. But we, we are starting with a relatively small number because we also want to pay a lot of attention to the guardians themselves. They are going to be uh, put in complex situations by definition if some people are engaging with them uh, on, on, on tricky matters. Uh, you don't want them to be under pressure of any sort. So you want them to be well taken care of also. And that's why we are going to provide them specific training by specialized companies on those, those matters so that they, 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 they provide the right skills and guidance to any colleagues engaging with them, but that they also feel comfortable about their own capabilities to do so. That's quite a lot of people, isn't it, per guardian? Isn't it about, what, 225 employees per guardian? Yeah, but that, that would suggest that uh, all those 225 people would have something to, to, to report, which <laughs> hopefully is not the situation by far. So uh, considering the kind of numbers of uh, issues we can anticipate, I think we, we've got a very decent uh, network. And by the way, we are paying attention that this network uh, is spread across our different geographies in the UK and across our different business lines to make sure that they are quite in proximity with whoever would like to reach them. These are well-known people, and, and and obviously they've got a day job, haven't they? Um, you know. They definitely have a day job, so <laughs> they are doing that as volunteers in addition of their day job. So you're not expecting them to be inundated with uh, you know terrible amounts of uh, absolutely not. Um, now, what you know, what's you're saying that there are different ways of, of of attacking the same problem. This is an informal channel that you created in the business, but what um, I mean, have they got some kind of duty to act if if they see something that's serious, or is it completely confidential? And sort of where do they cross the line where they suddenly become a judge, or or, or you know, what kind of training are you giving them around this? What guidance are they going to get about what they should do if someone comes at something that actually is really serious? Yeah. 
It's, it's a great question because it's a sensitive, uh, it's probably one of the most sensitive elements of the situation. So they, they clearly do not have any uh, duty apart from supporting their colleagues because the whole point is that this, is, this has to be 100% confidential. This is not going to be documented. This is really between any individual we want to have a discussion with them and them. So their role is not to report, but their role is to help the individual to tackle the situation, hopefully by himself, or to get the usage of, I would say, the more formal processes that are in place, but after being assisted by the guardian. Because sometimes, you know, uh, you can imagine that uh, immediately engaging, if you see something wrong with the whistle blowing, you're not even exactly sure how it's going to work. So the guardian typically can provide some guidance, some help on how to engage. Um, before I, before we sort of come to the end of our discussion, I'd, I'd like to ask you sort of where you think we, how um, London as a market as a whole has reacted to you know, what was a kind of a shock, perhaps for many, of you know some of the revelations in the Bloomberg article that came out last year, and now the revelations that have come out of that serious reaction to that with the with the uh, the culture survey. Um, how do you think that the, the market has reacted? Has it reacted well? Is it really going to grasp this problem, and are you confident that? that if we'd be sitting here in five years' time, we'd say, of course, these initiatives are a permanent feature of what we're doing, but do you think that, that, that maybe whatever the problem was is going to be in the past by then? Yes, yeah, so, so from what I see directly from my own eyes, I mean, it's quite clear that the, the leaders of this market are really taking action or increasing their own awareness about the, 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 the situation or increasing their awareness about kind of tools and processes that can be helpful on that. But, but once again, I think um, we always need to restore balance on, on, any, uh, on any challenge. Th there is a problem, but it's not an enormous problem. This is a problem that can be tackled if people have and lead the right initiative and ensure that problems are talked about, problems are, are reported, and people are supported to, uh, to speak up. So I think that the market has had a good reaction overall. Uh, but once again, the market, the market is not one. Um, you've got different places in the market where issues might be more relevant than in others. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time today. Is there anything that we... Uh, you'd like to add that we haven't discussed yet i think we've had a wide range of discussion but is there anything you know that uh, we, we that you'd like to add if not it doesn't matter i don't think so i think it's been uh, quite an interesting conversation thank you very much mark for that well, thank you very, very much uh, for your time see you soon thank you voice of insurance is produced by me mark gagan music was written by anna gagan and produced by carlos gagan Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. <laughs>